Hey, Pastor John Aiken here. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Faith Center podcast. We hope today's teaching will awaken and equip you to live out your God-given purpose. Enjoy. Lord willing, we'll be getting into faith here pretty soon, but I could not let something go. And by the way, next week, um, I'll be here, but won't be teaching. Danny, the kid, is going to be teaching next week. A.K.A. the bricklayer. <laughs> and um, so come and be ready to receive next week. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 4. You can look on your notes. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, the, I, re- I read some of this last week. We've been, we've been talking about kingdom realities. And guys, I want you to hear and I want you to receive always from a perspective of the realities of the king are my reality. So if I've come to faith in Jesus Christ and I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, then what's true of Jesus is now true of me. What's true of him and the spirit, spiritual reality. So every spiritual blessing we have already received. We have it. We already have it. We have it in full, complete, finished. We have it. If God gave us his own son, he, he, how will he withhold anything from us since he gave us his, his own son? And in Christ, remember, in Christ, all the promises of God are Yes and amen. Now, if God didn't promise it, shouldn't be, it's, there's no yes and amen to that. But if he promised it, and most of us, most of us are not in danger of, of living above God's promises. <laughs> through, through insecurities, through fear, through anxiety, through false belief, through getting a dull heart, through getting wore out, through the enemy wearing us out and attacking us and other people who are a little bit ignorant trying to educate us. You ever had ignorant people try to educate you? Yeah, don't look at them right now if they're sitting next to you. But So we're not in danger of like living above the promises of God, but most of the body of Christ, and at times including me, if I'm not intentional, I live below the promises of God, meaning I do not try to partake in everything he promised me because an insecurity or a pain or something else deceives me out of that promise. And so I live, I don't, I live not experiencing everything that, that Jesus has already said is mine in, in him. And so So we're not in danger of living above the promise of God, but most of the church needs to step it up a little bit to say, Lord, I want to partake of everything you have promised. Because tradition and culture and different things will talk you out of what Jesus has died to give you as an inheritance. So with that in mind, we look at Hebrews chapter 4. I want to talk to you this morning about obtaining mercy and finding grace. So Hebrews 4, 16, I read a few verses above that last week, so I'm going to start just at verse 16. Um, It says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain. Somebody say obtain. Obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. First of all, underline that time of need because that time of need speaks to uh, 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 it can speak to a season or it can speak to a moment. 
It can speak to a situation or it can speak to a season. It's a time of need. Some of you are facing current, present moments, individual circumstances and situations that right now you have a need you didn't have just a, a, just a short while ago. Others of you might be in seasons where you're facing a season or, or a, a prolonged thing that, that you want to know, how do I make this shorter? Like, I, I know we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and that we should fear no evil because he's with us. But Lord, is there any way I can make this trip through the valley a little bit shorter? Like Jesus said to about being in the boat, let's go to the other side. Is there any way we can make this trip a little bit quicker? And, and, and so some of you are in a season where you have a need. So the first thing you have to do is acknowledge your need in order for the truth of the throne of grace to work in your life and for you to obtain mercy and find grace, you have to acknowledge your need. Acknowledge that, that you need. That's why having a lot of money or having enough money, having health, and having no drama at home, a lot of people sometimes think that they don't need Jesus. They don't need a savior because they don't have a major problem. They're not facing a court date. Their kids are not facing a court date. They don't have sickness in their body. They're doing okay. Got enough money in the bank. Got it. Everything's kind of okay. It's not perfect. It's not perfect, but everything's kind of okay. And so they think, I really don't need a savior. And that's a lie. You, every one of us need a savior. It's not just those of us who have court dates. Every one of us need Jesus. And so if there's a dullness, how do you know if there's a dullness at work in your life? You don't think you need him. How do I know? How do you test yourself to know whether or not you truly uh, are aware uh, if, if you're truly walking in this mentality of do I really need Jesus? How do you know? Because you may say, well, I, OK, OK, I need Jesus. I'll admit it. I need Jesus. But functionally in your life, how do you know if you're living with the reality and a present reality and dependence upon the, the, the fact that you need Jesus, it, it's, it's do you ever go to him? That's why I love this thing, come, come boldly. So it's a coming. You can't stay where you are and follow God at the same time. You, you came to church this morning. So glad you came to church this morning. For some of you, it's a victory. Hello, it's good to see you again. Uh, but for, for some of you... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a difficult thing to get here. And there's times where that, that can be true, but it shouldn't be the constant. And so you need to be able to come. You need to be able to make a decision, and you need to be able to come to, to the Lord. Not just to church, but come to Him. And so if you know you have... See, there's two things that will motivate you to move. Desperation or inspiration. And desperation will move you, but that gas can wear out. Because you don't. When, when, once God brings a victory in your life or, or meets a need, then sometimes we lose our desperation. And then we get inspiration about a certain thing. Oh, we get excited. Oh, this is really cool. But then once that, that can wear off too. So we need to be people that have it, it balanced, that we are a desperate people living with inspiration. And constantly getting fresh oil from the Lord. And to do that, we have, I'm saying this, to do that, we have to acknowledge our need. Whenever we think, I got it, I got it. God, I'll do this one for you. Watch how good I am. You're in trouble. 
He wants to be with you and he wants to work through you. So looking at this verse, it comes to this thing of in this time of need. And it's a well-timed, it's a spirit-given time. It's a kingdom, kairos time. It's a, it's a time, an appointed time. It's an appointed time of the Lord being at work in your life to meet, to meet your need. But you have a part in this. And this verse is so powerful about coming to the throne of grace. So I put a chair up here for you to understand this represents the throne. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, well, actually it says before that, I'm, let me just do one, two, skip a few, that Jesus was crucified on a cross. He was crucified in the earth on the cross. He died, was buried, and rose again. And in doing that, he fulfilled um, the, the law of God fulfilled and did what the law could not do. And that's why all the promises of God find their yes and amen in him, because he's the only one who died, our, who, who fulfilled the requirements of the law by being a substitute sacrifice for us and, and dying in our place, being buried in our place and then being resurrected. So and then in that resurrection, what he did is he came up into the heavenlies. After he was resurrected. And the cool thing about it is Jesus is, is a number of things at the same time. He's the high priest. He's the highest priest. So he outranks everybody. So he didn't delegate this to another priest to do. He himself, he himself is the high priest. He himself is the lamb of God. He himself is the sacrifice. So this is so no one could mess it up. So he himself took his own blood, the high priest of his own sacrifice, took his blood and came up to the mercy seat in heaven and sprinkled his blood, which sealed the New Testament and the new covenant. And it is finished. It is done. It is perfected. Matter of fact, he is he is our mercy seat. And then when he was done with that, finishing the atonement for us. Which, by the way, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is coming up sometime this week. And so what he did is he then, what, what did he do next after he was finished? He sat down. The right hand of the Father. He sat down, not because he was tired, he sat down because he was complete. Not finished in a sense, I'm done with all these people, done with all this nonsense. I sat down many times like that. He sat down because it's complete. It's finished. And your Bible says, and he sat down on a throne. And it's a throne of grace. So the one seated upon the throne is the king who, who has paid the price, released, activating the fullness of the promise. And then your Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, like starting in verse 4 and then maybe 5, where it says, and that he has made us alive together with him and that we've been saved by grace through faith. And it says that he has seated us, he has raised us, he has raised us, that's resurrection. He has raised us by his resurrection and seated us together with Christ in the heavenly places. That means at the throne. So why should you come boldly to the throne of grace? Because he's already saved you a seat. Not because you're good, but because he's good. Not because you're righteous, but because he's righteous. Not because you deserve it, but because he deserves it. Not because you or I are worthy, but because he's worthy. So there is literally a throne of grace that you have access to by grace through faith to come and sit at this throne. 
Most of us, there's a lot of people in the church that do not come to the throne of grace, much less come boldly to the throne of grace. And we need to come to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. So our bodies are here, but our spirits are here. It is finished even though it's just getting started. The redemption that is at work in some of y'all's lives, because some, some of you guys have what I call a generational redemption. You're the first in your family to get a hold of this. You're the first one to stand up and say, ah, we're going a different direction. And my kids won't have to deal with what I had to deal with. That's a generational redemption, and you're going first in your family. And that generational redemption, everything that will happen in the unfolding victory of that generational redemption has already been completed in Christ now. It's already finished before it's ever started. It's done. And from the throne of grace, I love this, come boldly to the throne of grace. So look at these definitions down at the bottom of the page here. Um, come boldly. What that means is to approach with free and fearless confidence, courage, and openness. You've got to come. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So this coming, you've got to be able to come. Who do you go to? Who do you turn to? If you, if you, what do you, do you turn to alcohol? Do you turn to pills? Who do you come to? What do you turn to? See, whoever you turn to, whoever you trust in, whoever you come to, it's your choice. It's your choice. Some people trust in their money. Some people trust in, in food and gluttony. Some people trust, we ain't gonna preach about that. Some people trust in other stuff. What do you trust in? Some people just trust in themselves. They're that confident and that, that bold in themselves. But we can come boldly. We can actually, we can actually sit where we're already seated. I know that's weird. But most of us, most of the people in the body of Christ don't get taught this. So they don't know how to sit where they're already seated. They don't know how to obtain what they already have obtained. They don't know how to find what they already have. So they're looking for something that they have because they're ignorant that they have it. They're trying to obtain something that they are unaware that they have already obtained. And they're asking God to give them something God has already gave them. And there's, a, there's an ig ignorance in that. And so this thing about come boldly is we have to take action. Like circle that word approach. Approach with free and fearless confidence, courage, and openness. That even means on the day that you sin, if you fail and you fall, you should even then, it doesn't say come boldly unless you were cussing last week. 
What it says is you come boldly because when you understand that you have been redeemed and you have been accepted and you have been you have the grace of God in your life you, and you, you understand that you are now a son, a daughter of God, you can come boldly. Now God will correct you and he will rebuke you and he will confront you in your sin. But he will always do it from a position and a perspective of who you are in him, not who you were in the world. He never approaches you about who you are in the world because he believes even when you forget that you are a new creation in Christ. So anytime he deals with you, he deals with you from this perspective. He doesn't come around, he doesn't come around into, into this perspective. Sometimes we look at our new identity in Christ as if we are outsiders. And what we feel like is, man, I once had that, but I've been sinning. I've been being stupid. You know, I've been doing some crazy stuff, you know, because I hang out with crazy people. Just saying. <laughs> and, and so then because of who I'm around and what I'm doing, it lies to me and tries to tell me who I am. But Jesus never, never will have the false belief about your identity. So when you're not saved and you start trying to do righteous things to act saved, he's not fooled. Your good works don't make you saved. And when you are saved and born again, your unrighteous works don't make you lose your salvation. So he will never have a false belief about your identity. And anytime he confronts you and corrects you and deals with you through the throne and the authority of his grace, he will always do it from a place of your identity in Christ. And that's why he says, you come boldly to where I've already seated you. I've saved you a seat. You come boldly. And when you come, You come boldly, here's what you need to do. You need to obtain mercy. And then you need to find grace. So look at the definition of that word, obtain. Obtain mercy. Actively, actively. Oh, I love that word. Actively take hold of. Accept with initiative. And receive the covenant compassion Covenant loyalty or covenant faithfulness and covenant love. See, it's a covenant. The seat is covenant. It's covenant. And so when you're in relationship with Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're born again and you're a disciple of God, what that means is we come boldly to this ruling, reigning authority of grace in our life that we live under the influence of the throne of the grace of God, and we come boldly so we might obtain. That means we actively grab hold of. We we grab this thing. We take hold of it. And so what that means is you obtain what you already have obtained. So the very moment you were saved and you were born again, the finished work of Jesus Christ took hold in your life, and you had obtained mercy. You have obtained forgiveness. You already have it. You obtained peace with God. You obtained righteousness. You have obtained his his mercy, his unfailing covenant compassion, kindness, forgiveness, faithfulness. That's what the mercy of God is. The mercy of God is not God turning a blind eye. Let's pretend I didn't see that. He didn't cook the books. 
And when Jesus paid your sin, he didn't, he didn't just he didn't erase the numbers and, and, and do some kind of forgery or some kind of illegal thing by just erasing the numbers and pretending the debt never existed and thought, oh, we'll just, we'll just absorb that. He didn't erase it. He paid it in full. It's done. It's finished. And so what that means is there's nothing from your old life and your old identity, even if you're having a present relapse, there is nothing from your old life that can keep you from the new seat. And if you are relapsing, the biggest thing and most important thing you need to know is he saved you a seat right here and you need to get back to remembering who you are in Christ. Because the reason you're relapsing is you're forgetting who you are. Because you're thinking you are who you were. Instead of believing the finished work of Jesus in your life, coming boldly to the throne of grace to obtain, to get your hands on. So here's, here's what it's like. Let me, let me just do it this way. Sometimes some, some people might be able to relate with this. So it's like this. Let's say these are, these are the, the mercy glasses, the vision glasses, the prophetic glasses that God gives me. Okay? So he's given them to me. Do I have my glasses? Yes, I have my glasses. How many times? This is so embarrassing, but this is the truth. And this is how you know you're mature in the Lord. When this happens to you. Hey, babe, you see my glasses? See, I have to, I have to obtain. I've got to obtain. Where did I, where did I put them? Where, where did I, I put them? Gosh, where did, oh. I have to obtain, I have to get my hands on what I already have. How silly would it be to, for me to walk into the glasses store? Be like, I've lost my glasses. I need to buy new glasses. You know? You know, if it was me working at counter, I'd be like, yes, sir, you do need to buy new glasses. We, you know, the price has just gone up. <laughs> but how many times do we do that with the mercy of God, with the peace of God? Because we, we're letting a false belief of, of, that, that takes root in us that we don't have it. That we don't have it. But here's the thing. Jesus died and completed the transaction. You have it. Tell your neighbor you have what you need. You have what you need. So what we need to do, we need to obtain Mercy. Obtaining mercy is this. The mercy I have in Jesus, I have to get my hands on and bring into proper alignment. Wow, that's a toll. That's a big difference right there. So we 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 obtain what we have obtained. It's this. But what happens is we move this to second place, someplace it's not supposed to be in our life. We have it, but we don't know how to steward it. And we go off trying to fill that void with something of the world. And we try to fill it down there when the reality is it can only be filled up here. So we come boldly. We come boldly with confidence. We're not fearing because Jesus has already decided what he wants to do about my sin. He covered it. He paid for it. He redeemed it. So I don't have to come in fearing like, what's he going to do? He's going to reject me. He's going to know. He may confront you. He may correct you. And he even may rebuke you. But when he does it, he'll do it from a position of his full confidence 
in his new identity in your life. He will never do it from the false belief of, well, you know, imagine, imagine this is how some people come to the throne. Some people, like, imagine somebody coming up to the throne. We come to the throne as if Jesus is probably going to say, you know what? I thought you were saved. But based on those actions, I don't think you are saved. And like, like Jesus is confused. Like he's going to suddenly reject you. Because of what you did. While, why? While when we were all sinners, Christ demonstrated his love for us. That covenant love. And died for us. So how do we come boldly to the throne of grace? We remember he's already provided a seat for us in him there. And then we have to obtain mercy. That means I fearlessly come and get my hands on. Like here in a little bit, I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm going to get my hands on something and I'm going to throw it down my throat. We, we know it won't be Chick-fil-A, but it'll be something. So I'm going to obtain that. I'm going to see you may have a gift card. That means you have obtained it. But you got to obtain it. You got to ha- actively, actively, intentionally take the initiative to partner, to participate, to begin to come and, and grab hold of this thing. You say, I can't. If you can partake of sin, you can, if you can partake of your old identity, you can partake of your new one. The choice is yours. The same amount of energy it takes to go get a drink is the same amount of energy and thought it takes to, to rethink that and to just drink from the Lord. And so, so this third definition on the back side of your page, It says, find grace. So that means to discover, meaning to learn and recognize by practice and experience. And you can write the word participation out there next to practice. It's taking part in. It's taking part in. To discover, to learn, and recognize by practice and experience through thoughtful and intentional searching, examination, and observation. And so you have to find grace. So I just want, to, I want you to get this, that you can obtain mercy because you have obtained mercy. If you have not obtained mercy, you cannot obtain mercy. If you have not already, by uh, grace, through faith, surrendered your life to Jesus and said, Lord, you be the Lord of my life. I believe Jesus is Lord, that God has raised him from the dead, and I call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. If you have not done that, then, then, then you cannot obtain mercy. There's no other way to obtain mercy from the throne of God except through the one who sits upon the, on the throne. It's Jesus. But if you have obtained mercy through your faith in Jesus Christ, then you need to learn what you have obtained. And how do you learn it? By taking part in it. By being reminded of it. By coming and reminding yourself not of what you have done, but reminding yourself of what He has done. 
I'm telling you on the day that I'm down here and I'm struggling and I'm wrestling with something or whatever, the thing that brings me the most victory is not trying to earn something from God, but learn something from what I have already received from God. You can't earn grace, but you can learn how to live in it. And so what happens is you remember who he is. You remember who you are in him and who he is in you. I'm the righteous of God in Christ. I'm a new creation. I am crucified with, with Christ and I no longer live. Christ lives in me. And so the life that I let now live in this body, I will live by faith. I'm not going to live by stupid anymore. Y'all know people live by stupid. I'm not going to live by stupid. I'm going to live by faith. And as I live by faith in the son of God who loves me, loved me and gave himself for me. So I'm going to come back and remind myself that in my spirit, I am seated here, even though in my body, I'm living here and I will now obtain what I've already obtained. And he's given me mercy in my time of failure, mercy in my time of when I need that compassion. And in that time where I have I have been a poor steward of my new identity. And then what happens is he releases and activates. I, I can find, I can obtain that mercy and find this grace. And all of a sudden I begin to search. So I start searching the scriptures and I start looking like, let's search over to First Timothy. Because we're going to get there in just a second. First Timothy, open, it's kind of searching. It's a, it's a cool thing. You open your Bible. Your Bible works better when it's open. And you open and you'll search. And we'll get there in just a second. But you open your Bible. And you, you look to other places. You don't have to turn there right now, but the scripture I have on your notes, you, you find where Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Sounds like Popeye. But by the grace of God, not by my works, not by my effort, not by my striving and trying to make it work. No, no, no. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, meaning it was not a waste. But I labored. This is all right there on your notes. First Corinthians 15, 10. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. This is a huge verse that unpacks the process of what I'm talking about. That Paul understood he used to be seated there and now he's seated here in Christ. And so the things he was doing there was not empowered by his flesh, not empowered by his degrees, not empowered by his intellect. All of that stuff was submitted to the grace of God and to the one who sits upon the throne. And so what he was saying is, I searched, I partnered, I obtained, I labored. My labor is partnership. My labor is not earning. My labor is learning. My labor is not doing the work myself. My labor is partnering with God through faith so that his grace can work through my life. My laboring is choosing. Do you realize you have a choice? You don't have to do the sin that your body wants you to do. You have a choice. And so he says, I labored more than everybody else. I searched more than anybody else. I investigated more than anybody else. I examined through Bible study, through prayer, through worship, 
through serving, through meditating on the, on the scriptures. I, I search these things. Like the noble Bereans in the book of Acts, they search these things to see. Every day they search the scriptures to see if these things were so. So I searched this thing about the grace of God. And he said, and I partnered with God. I labored more than anybody else. But don't get it confused. It wasn't my labor. It was the grace of God in me and through me. And so let's look at 1 Timothy. Let's see this. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I love this section right here. Verse 12. When you got to say got it. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry. And see, for some of you, it's putting you into business, putting you into a family, putting you into whatever he, he has for you. Although I was formerly, see the past tense? I was formerly, I used to be a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent or insolent man. But I, and there it is, obtained mercy. Because I did it ignorantly in an unbelief. And now watch the grace. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me First, circle that phrase, in me first. If you're waiting for it to happen in somebody else first, you've misunderstood. Some of you, I said about the, re the generational redemption that God's doing in your life. There's this reality of in me first that you got to have. In me first, that Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering, which is patience, as a pattern as a mold, as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. And so here's this thing. I'm not, the grace of God is not going to be in vain. Paul is saying that I used to be a, a sinner, but now by grace through faith, I have, I have become a saint and I have actually obtained Mercy, that means I obtained a covenant relationship with God. That by the covenant of God, by the mercy of God, my sins are forgiven. And when you get a revelation of that, when you get a right revelation that your past, present, and future sins have already been forgiven in Jesus Christ, Some of y'all ought to mess with you. When you get a revelation of that, then the revelation of that does not encourage you to say, well, doggone it, all my sins are forgiven. I'm going to Las Vegas. That's not the, re no, that, that's, God forbid, that's not the reality. That's the flesh interpreting that revelation. But when your spirit interprets the revelation, my sins are forgiven. That means that means even if I stumble and fumble, a mess up and disobedience in a present situation will not erase my new identity in Christ. So I can come boldly through the, through the throne of grace and that sin or the law will not have dominion over me because I'm no longer under my performance of the law. I'm no longer under the works of the law. My identity is not determined by what I do 
My identity is released in what I do, but it's not determined by what I do. Uh, My identity is by grace through faith in Christ. See, I'm no longer under the law. If I was still under the law, if I did good, then I was good. But if I did bad, I am therefore bad. But now that I'm not under the law, but under grace, even if I'm doing wrong and disobeying God, I, I get the revelation to remind myself that I am righteous, even though I'm living unrighteously. And you may say, well, wait a minute, that, you, you can't just say that because, no, understand this, the one who sits upon the throne. will confront you. See, sometimes we do a sinful thing and we don't get judged, so we think like, all right. like It's almost like we like touching an electric fence. It doesn't zap us, so we think God's cool with it. And we do things that God's not cool with because we don't get punished for it. Because we live with a punishment mentality and a law mentality. See, in grace mentality, you know the relationship. Imagine a husband and wife. Imagine Sarah and I. If the way the relationship worked was this, that, that the way she communicated to me boundaries and things like that, if I crossed a line, then she punishes me. She smacks me. You know, um, which she only did once. In about a half hour, I woke up, and it was, it was good. It was cool. Everything was good. <laughs> Just kidding. She's never done that. Uh, but if that's how, I, if that's how the, 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 the training was, then it's a fear-based training. And it doesn't bring intimacy into the relationship. It actually brings a separation in the relationship. It's a fearful thing. But when you, when you come motivated by love, all of a sudden I want to search her heart and I want to I know her heart and do what communicates love to her. Not because I have to, but because I want to. It's not a fear-based thing. It's a love-based thing. So when you talk about coming to, coming to the, the throne of grace and obtaining mercy and finding grace, it's, it's, it's you coming to the place of being able to say, you know what, I'm not going to let this fearful thing torment me anymore. I am going to accept, listen to me, I'm going to accept that I am accepted in Christ. I'm going to accept that. And what will happen is, what will happen is, any seat that I have in this life down here, any place that I stand will be in alignment with the throne. That here looks like there. When I get out of alignment, and I'm over here, you know, kind of trying to do my own thing. I'm out of alignment. Doesn't mean I lose my identity. But it messes with the release. I'm living like this. Instead of living like this. And we got a lot of people in the church saying, yeah, praise the Lord. I got grace. I can see. I can see. I can see. Like me looking at my Bible without these glasses. You got your Bible open. You can't see nothing. You know, when, I, when that first happened to me, I used to not put my glasses on because I hated wearing glasses. You know, when I first started, like the sight was getting messed up. And so I would start reading verses. I was so stubborn and I was so prideful that I would just read through the verse and say it by memory. At least I hope I was. 
because I, I was too prideful to actually just go like this and then read the verse. Some of you are in pride right now in your life and you're not using what God's already given you. And I think there needs to be a realignment, switching it, coming back by learning and investigating and coming back to who you are in Christ, obtaining mercy over the sins that have dominated your life and finding grace to empower you to walk in everything that he's called you to. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. That your life, that your life would become a pattern. I, I'm, I'm telling you that. I can sense that. No question. I can sense that uh, very clearly in this room. There are, there are first patterns in this room. You're breaking, there's, there's, there's families in here that the mold is being broken. There are patterns that are, that, are, that are being formed in you, patterns being formed in you that generations after you will, will look at that pattern of what God did. And so as we go into a time of worship, what I want you to do is I want you to seriously consider, not like, oh, the sermon's finally over and okay, now I, I, I want you to be in a mindset of, of really thinking about this, of like, of like, Lord, how do I obtain mercy? How do I come and just be so mindful and thoughtful of how much you love me? And, and so when you come to confess sin, you confess sin from the perspective of your new identity in Christ. You don't get saved all over again. You don't get, you don't get accepted all over again. What you do is you take responsibility of the stewardship of your identity by confessing, saying the same thing that God says. And what that means is, God, I'm going to say exactly what you say about my sin and about me. Don't let your sin speak to your identity. Let your identity speak to your sin. You say what God says. God I thank you that I, you come confessing, you come boldly to the throne of grace and you sit at the throne of grace with Christ. I thank you, God, um, and I obtain the mercy that I have already obtained in Christ and I have a fresh perspective of this mercy. I put this mercy into my life, God, and I thank you. And from this perspective of mercy, God, I thank you that you have loved me and you have forgiven me and that you have accepted me in the beloved. So I come to you, Father, and I confess that I have failed here or failed there or, or I, I disobeyed you here or disobeyed you there. God, and that's not me and that's not what I want. God, I want you and I thank you for your mercy. And so what I confess is that sin does not have dominion over me because I'm not under my performance. I'm not under the law. The law does not define me, God. I come before you and I thank you that I'm defined by the grace and the one who sits upon the throne that I am accepted and I am redeemed and I've been made clean. So God, forgive me because see, I'm receiving forgiveness of the forgiveness I already have. And God, I thank you that you forgive me. I'm not waiting. Listen, I'm not going, I'm not coming to the throne waiting for the jury to decide if the verdict this time is going to be guilty or free. The verdict has already been made. 
If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the verdict has already been made. You are free. You are not guilty anymore. So do not come to the throne of grace with a guilty conscience and a guilty sin conscience with a verdict, believing a false belief of a verdict that you're still guilty. What you do is you come and you say, Lord, I thank you that you've made me whole. I thank you that I'm the righteous of God in Christ. And I confess to you that I have failed and I have disobeyed. And I ask you to cleanse me. Forgive me and cleanse me. All from the perspective of my new identity. And you remember who he is. You remember who the one that sits upon that throne. I'm telling you, if you live a lifestyle of coming to the throne of grace and not just going to church and like when we have times of worship, you, you come to the throne of grace and you, you don't just sing the song, you sing to the one who's sitting on the throne. And you don't sing from there, you sing from right here. That's why you worship in spirit and truth, not in emotion and flesh. And you come before the Lord and you become enamored with who he is. And when you are fall in love with the one who sits on the throne and you begin to see the one who sits upon the throne to become aware of where you already are. Everything will change. And nothing will enthrone you. If you're already enthroned. Nothing will dominate you. If you're already in his dominion. And so as we come into this time of worship. I'm going to ask the prayer team to go ahead and come on up. And if anyone here, you need to give your life to Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus. You've never been born again. Maybe you've, you've, you don't even know, you don't even, like if you were to die right now, if you don't have absolute confidence because of your faith in Jesus Christ that you would go to heaven, then you need to come tell one of these people, I need to give my life to Jesus. And if you're here and you're a believer and you've been dulled, you've been dulled into stuff, you've been wearied, you, you've been distracted, or, or you're just kind of whatever, you, you just, you've forgotten maybe who he is. Maybe there's sin in your life that you need to actually come confess. You might not need to confess it to one of the prayer partners up here, but you come, you can make your, your, church, make, make your chair an altar. You can come up to the altar. But when you do, don't just come to an altar. By faith, come to where you're seated in Christ. Come to the throne of grace and come boldly. Knowing the banner over you is love. The verdict over, over you is accepted and forgiven. And then let him correct you. Let him confront your sin. Let him rebuke you in love and let him cleanse you let him cleanse you I sense that let him cleanse you there's some cleansing that needs to happen there's some cleansing that needs to happen in some of your lives but you're too uh, you're too prideful you're too prideful and I'm saying this as a pastor who's had to confess a lot in my life but I've not been ashamed at the times I've needed to confess. I've come to the altar. I've humbled myself. I've been transparent. I didn't care about what you thought. I didn't care about what others thought. 
Doing that is what leads you into sin. What brings you out of it is focusing your mind on His thoughts. And some of you are in bondage. Some of you are seated here, but you're in bondage there. And you need redemption. And you need a breakthrough. And it's going to come when you humble yourself. And you remember who He is and who you are in Him. And you come in brokenness. And you just weep if you need to weep. And the thing that's taking dominion in your life, you dethrone it. Because only only room for one throne in your life. The one that Jesus gave you access to. And you live from here. And so I'm just going to ask, if, if, if I'm speaking to you, as we begin to worship, you just come up and receive prayer. You come up. You humble yourself and you come up. You either pray with one of these or, or you come and just kneel and just begin to worship the Lord and confess your sin before the Lord. And you come and you find healing and you find hope. And if you have prayer needs for any reason whatsoever, you can come. But let's obtain mercy and let's find grace to help in this time and season of need. Father, in Jesus' name, we humble ourselves before you. Holy Spirit, I pray you work. I pray you align. I pray you work. Remove the filth of the flesh and release a fresh oil of a spirit of mercy and grace. In Jesus' name, come. Come. Thanks again for listening to the Faith Center podcast. To connect with us, go to faithcenter.tv and fill out our connection card. We pray blessings over you and your family. We'll see you next time.